Libby writes with Brian Scott Libby. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What is up on a Thursday? I am Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes Podcast. Got some golf talk for you on the show today. Uh, it is Mark Harris of Outkick the Coverage. He is Outkick's golf writer, covers a bunch of other stuff too. Does a, a newsletter called By the Flagstick. Great stuff. Had him on a couple of times. Wanted to talk about the changing ecosystem of golf. As I mentioned at the top of the pod, Chase and I did like a rapid reaction last week, but I kind of wanted to dive into it a week later, kind of what we know. Uh, the whole Saudi-backed live tour. Have they actually bought the PGA Tour? Will all this hold up? All those questions and a little bit of U.S. Open preview at the end. So buckle up. I think you'll enjoy the conversation. Before we get to that, I wanted to remind you, this podcast is brought to you by Rent the Sip Oxford. Rent the Sip Oxford's Turnberry unit is located just off Old Taylor Road, less than a mile from campus, straight shot to Swayze Field, almost a straight shot to vault Hemingway Stadium. It will sleep eight comfortably and includes amenities such as pool, sauna, tennis courts, and it's gated. It's perfect for big game weekends. A lot of times it's hard to find a place in Oxford. Rent the Sip Oxford still has availabilities for the ULM, Mercer, and Vandy football weekends, as well as move-in week and Rush Week as well. They also have short-term stays available year-round. Go to rentthesipoxford.com or reach out to bracken at rentthesipoxford.com if you want to reach out during email to check availability. So not only is it good for big game weekends, it is nice for just any time you're passing through Oxford. Maybe you need to quickly find a place to stay. Go online, check them out, see what availabilities they have at rentthesipoxford.com or reach out to bracken at rentthesipoxford.com if you want to get in touch via email. When you book a two-night minimum stay and you use the promo code RippyWrites, that'll get you 100 bucks off of your stay. Check them out, rentthesipoxford.com or one more time, check them out at that email if you have questions at bracken, B-R-A-C-K-E-N, at rentthesipoxford.com. Really appreciate them sponsoring the podcast. Be sure to take advantage of that offer now. Podcast is also brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website. The inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. Go check them out. If you're wanting to build up your bankroll before football season, Mark Harris and the guys at Skybox NASCAR are crushing it on the track every weekend just racking up positive unit weekends but as football season will be here before you know it just go online to skyboxsportspicks.com you can find a picks package that fits your price range you can try it for a day a week a month whatever college football nfl football they've also got college basketball coming up uh, not too far from that as well all you have to do is go sign up for the picks package type in the promo code rippy r-i-p-p-e-e and that'll get you 20 percent off any purchase they're the only way to profit in the long run check them out skyboxsportspicks.com all right, here is Mark Harris. All right, we now welcome on once again, who's be, kind of become a resident golf guy. I feel like we're due for one of these a year. Mark Harris, writer at Outkick, also um, does Buy the Flagstick, which is a newsletter. It's all great stuff, man. How are you? Uh, this is this is something I've been wanting to do since last week. We kind of kicked around the idea. Schedules didn't really work out, which worked out for two ways. One, as soon as the news broke about Liv last week, my uh, cohort, Chase Parham, was like, want to pot about it? And it was right after I'd messaged you. I was like, sure. So we did like the instant reaction on a joint podcast that ran on the Rivals Rebel Grove feed. I think most people listen there, but if you didn't see it on the Rippy Rights feed, that's why. Now we're a week later, so this works out perfectly because we can kind of get the landscape of it all. But first off, how you been doing, man? Great, man. I appreciate you having me. Always, uh, Always a pleasure. Never a dull moment in the golf world the last couple of times we've done one of these. And 
last week uh, was just kind of the, I don't know if it was the culmination by any stretch, but really what felt like the biggest story, um, you know, in this whole saga. And really, I mean, I don't know, like the way you saw it, I saw people that don't talk about golf ever, all the way up to like Colin Cowherd talking about it. Bill Simmons talked about it on his podcast, and he called it one of the bigger sports stories of the last, you know, 10 years or so. And I, I can't say I blame him. I guess we'll start there. What did you make of the news when it happened? I imagine you were probably just as shocked as anyone as the, at the timing of it. Yeah, it, it was crazy. We it, at Outkick we have a you know morning editorial meeting right at nine o'clock every day, and that broke right at nine o'clock uh, Central Time. Um, well, I guess it was eight days ago now on the sixth, and I was like, "Boys, I got to go. I got to go right." Because I mean, but nobody saw it coming. You know, like we got like an email. It was like, "Oh, this is under embargo until nine. We were like, we just kind of sat there and off for a few seconds, and then kind of got cooking and but you know you said we can kind of lay out the landscape but it's gosh it's been eight days but we we still don't know a landscape you know all, all we know is kind of it's they've announced it nothing's nothing's official yet that they've basically laid out their plan to do this and they're gonna you know I guess roll it out slowly after the golf season kind of calms down but it's just been it's been unbelievable I mean there's so many questions I mean we you could talk for hours and hours on it and just speculate and speculate which is you know it, one one side of that is fun the other side is like I kind of want to know what's going on, but uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, you know, the only thing I've said to buddies and stuff is we'll see who knows. We'll see. Yeah. That's really all you can do. And like, it's, it's, it's interesting a week out after all of this happened. So Chase and I did one that afternoon. So like everyone, you know, I mean, it's one of those days, you know, it's a big story when I spend an hour of my work day being like, shit, I got to go back to work. Like I can't keep reading this, but you keep just like scrolling and trying to figure out what the hell is going on in real time. And we did what was, probably pretty aptly described as like a reaction podcast and we tried not to make it like too hysterical but it was kind of the whole like it's the, the saudis just buy golf how the hell could monahan do this like this doesn't make any sense this is wildly hypocritical rory's the sacrificial lamb and all that stuff's still pretty true but as as it still kind of comes out one of the things that i think has happened in the last week is we've gained a better understanding maybe as to why it happened we don't know what it looks like and the two things that have stuck out to me since is one, it became pretty clear, crush Jay Monahan however many ways you want to. I think he's worthy of criticism. And I say that as news came out yesterday, he's in the he's taking a leave for a yeah, medical yeah. Hope, hope everything's well there. Um, mm -hmm. you know, but, but that notwithstanding, it became pretty clear that, you know, hypocritical or not, I don't know if you could call him a sacrificial lamb, but it seemed like he was put in an impossible spot because the PGA tour simply could not afford this legal fight. What did you make of that? Was that surprising to you? I know we think of all these sports leagues as having this endless supply of money, but you're literally going up against an opponent from a court standpoint, a competition standpoint that like quite literally has more money than God. Once you figured out that revelation, did it make a little more sense to you? Because it seemed to become a lot more clear to me once I read that at multiple reputable outlets. Yeah. And just on like the Jay Monahan stuff, like you said, it's definitely hypocritical is a label you can put on him for a lot of stuff, especially, you know, the 9-11 the clip that, went mega viral right after where he's talking about the 9-11 stuff but you do have to kind of appreciate him just being honest about it be saying like hey boys like we don't have i mean the, the sovereign fund at saudi is worth 620 billion dollars like sorry like we're, we can't compete with that and so it's just become this thing to where i don't think i looked at like live you know even hell two weeks ago i, I looked at live and the pga's two separate entities live was going to do their thing they're going to try to grow it you know the stereotypical grow the games game stuff but now it's become very clear to me that Live was just it was just a, a a vehicle for the Saudis to get a seat at the table. 
Um, and that's what they've gotten. And another one that's kind of stood out that I don't think a lot of people are talking about it. Kyle Porter at CBS uh, spoke about it or wrote about it, you know, maybe the day after where the New Yorker did a huge expose on Saudi, just trying to want to get to the table. And Yasir hired some guy in 2017 or 2018 when like that PGL professional golf league was kind of a rumor. Um, I guess now five years ago where they came to the table to Jay Monahan was like, Hey, we have, you know, a couple billion here. We want to sit at the table. And, you know, the PGA tour was in a pretty decent spot then. And they were like, no, we're not going to do it. And so kind of, kind of my reaction to that was like, okay, well give us, give us 18 months. I'm going to start this thing called live golf. And we're going to get that seat at the table because my funds aren't going to, they're not going anywhere. And to the legal point, I think that's what Jay and everybody thought they were going to go to court with the Saudis. The Saudis are going to, first of all, get, pissed off that they keep losing money even though they have infinite wealth they have pockets that literally don't have a, a floor to them and but they were maybe going to get tired of all this legal stuff and the, you know they're not going to get their way but they were clearly they said no boys like we we got it all we're just going to keep battling 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 until we win and that's that's clearly what's happened because you know like we've it's all it's all about the money baby yeah it really is and it's a it's a wild i read that new yorker expose on it and it's a wild it's a wild thought to ha- like to to ponder because you don't really know the ends of it, right? I mean, I've I've seen where this is, you know, people have opined or maybe educated opinion that this is just the beginning and they're going to try to get into all kinds of different sports. I think the one hiccup for like team sports like the NBA or the NFL, you have owners who can, I mean, it's a boys club, you can vote, like they can vote on not having a, an owner uh, come in you know, or whatnot. But I feel like everyone has a price. You know what I mean? You talk about all these like market values for NBA teams or NFL teams and whoever buys it usually buys it right around whatever they're evaluated at. And so like in that normal scenario, you know, if they don't want to get in bed with the Saudis or don't want a Saudi Arabian, you know, PIF funded team and say the NFL or the NBA, they just beg, I will vote it down. But I feel like everyone has a price. If the Jaguars come up for sale and they're worth like four point two billion, and the Saudis are like, "Well, how does forty five billion dollars sound?" Like, doesn't yeah. everyone have their price at this point? It's kind of just a wild thing to play out, and it's impossible to even gauge like where this goes from here. But that kind of leads me to the next point that I've thought about a lot in the last week: is golf was kind of the perfect target, wasn't it? It's a sport yeah. that's not quite as mainstream as the you know NFL owning you know Sundays and you know like the Lord's Day of the week and the NBA being so huge they picked a league that was not quite as flush financially as a couple of the other ones that immediately come to mind and number 2 they're independent contractors the employees are so it seemed like the perfect target and that's really a general theme here to me is that Strategy-wise, the Saudis have played the PGA Tour like a fiddle. They kind of had a strategy, and they caught the PGA Tour reactive, and it really just cashed in from the start, despite it being a little bit of a longer fight than maybe we thought it would be. Yeah, it kind of – just on the Saudi front, I mean, they've kind of picked the perfect battles, you know, in the Premier League, too. They basically own Newcastle United, (laughs) which was kind of in shambles of, you know, five – you know, long history club, won a lot of stuff. But since me and you've been alive, they haven't done much. And in these past couple of years, they've turned it around because, wow, they have all the money in the world. They can compete with the Manchester cities of the world because they have Saudi backing. So they've kind of picked their targets really, really well. Um, like you said, golf is like that. That's not the you know the richest. The PGA Tour and the world of golf is the richest league in the world. Um, F1 obviously has a lot of money. They have a lot of Saudi ties to that, um, like billiards and stuff. They're you know they're it's just kind of like they're just chipping away, chipping away. Um, I would say you know if they keep buying up premier league teams that's probably going to be bigger than the the world of uh of some some golf leagues or whatever but man it's just 
it, it's it's I got a lot of people saying like, man, it's kind of scary that they bought golf. And I'm like, well, are you, are you not aware that they own all the oil in the world and we're in bed with all that? It's just like, you know, at the end of the day, it's a sport, but it is just the changing landscape of it's just, it's overwhelming is what it is. That's kind of the way to put it. Um, And I can't imagine the players that, you know, even the Rory's got a phone call a couple hours before it all broke. Sounds like there was four guys in the room that made this, made this deal. Um, It started with the WhatsApp message from Jimmy Dunn, the huge investment banker in New York who lost well over half of his company, the nine 11 attacks. And now he's working with the Saudis. So just a lot of uh, never ending storylines to, to dive into with it all. And some of the reaction since has been particularly from the kind of the power brokers that were in the room. You remember, you mentioned Jimmy Dunn, powerful banker. Doesn't he own Seminole, the, the the super exclusive club down in? Yes. Yes. He's the, yeah, he's the owner. Yeah. So he has that. And then he made it like a very large part of his public persona that, you know, he lost a lot of colleagues in 9-11. His Mm -hmm. thing was like, I skipped work that day to play golf and the rest of my colleagues at whatever, I forget bank or firm he worked for, you know, were working in the world trade center. He lost a bunch of 9-11 and then it it turns out that like, he helped broker this deal and kind of pushed it along. It's like, how does that work? But then at the end, at the end of the day, the inevitability was the PGA Tour just simply couldn't afford it. But like some of the, like I think something that underscores the reactionary nature of which the Saudis and the PIF caught the PGA Tour in is in some of the reactions. I mean, you had that bizarre interview. I think he went on some television station was like, you know, if I found out that, you know, any of the people directly involved in what we're doing or we're doing with like was involved in 9-11, I'll kill them myself. It's like, whoa, bro, that seems a little aggressive. And then Monaghan got asked a question about the hypocritical nature of it on television last week too and gave one of the most painful 45-second clicks I've ever seen in my life. It was an unexplainable answer. He started talking about a lack of transparency and all this other stuff, and it's like, man, that made no sense, and it was also hard to watch. Like, I think that kind of underscores the reactionary state in which the Saudis kind of caught – this whole golf ecosystem in looking back at it now. And Chase and I did this a week ago, just talking about like the winners and losers. And I don't think the like what the way we ranked it has changed much, but man, if you join live, you gotta be, I mean, Andy Ogletree, who's a Meridian Mississippi kid. I mean, he yep. was dunking on the PGA tour. That's a lower level guy that never actually held any status on the PGA tour. He went mm-hmm. to live initially kind of got pushed by the wayside, like top to bottom, big name, small name. If, if you joined live, you got to be feeling pretty good about your decision at this point. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, like James Pyatt comes to mind. He obviously won the U S amateur a couple of years ago. So he kind of had some name recognition, but he, you know, he would have been a guy that would have had to grind his way to even sniff a PGA tour card and, like anything close to a paycheck there's i mean he, he might have gone for a couple million bucks and that sets him up for a few years easily um yeah i think the winners i mean it, the biggest winner is phil mickelson um hundred percent phil for sure um uh bryson DeChambeau, those guys you know there's various reports like a couple from today the times over in london or in the uk posted about um the saudis are going to set up a fund for the guys that have stayed loyal to the pga um, I don't think that it's going to be, you know, the Phil Mickelson or DJ, you know, 150 to $200 million. They're, they might give that to the Rory's of the world, but you know, the, the other guys that are 30th or worse in the world, um, not even he, like Ricky Fowler, he's not getting a hundred million dollars. I wouldn't imagine. Um, so that's going to be, it's just going to be unbelievable to, to watch it pay out. Um, and they see if, you know, the live guys coming back to the tour and even if live exists and hell 365 days from now, um, it's just all going to be, if they maybe they just put all their money together and they just do this PJ tour thing and maybe throw a couple team events out there. It's just 
there's just so many i know i keep saying it but there's just so many questions that it's just like it's hard to even stay on track of the of what the the next thing we learn about it because then it's backed up by another six questions it feels a very fascinating character in all of this and it's funny to me it's like if, if you know we've been alive for we're around the same age but we've kind of remembered most of mickelson's career i remember being a kid he wins the 03 masters or whatever all the way up and through, like basically followed most of his public life in golf, other than the kind of the very early years for him on the PGA tour that are kind of fuzzy to me memory wise, but like the way this played out kind of like followed how Phil has publicly and privately seemingly behaved to some degree. And I guess what I mean by that is he sees this opportunity to, I think his famous quote was like, you know, call the PGA tour out on their quote, obnoxious greed. I think he had the scary MFers comment in there at that point, but like, look at the opportunity. That didn't go very well. I I still don't understand to this day, the notion of the fact that you call the guy that's writing a book on you that you won't give him an interview to, but you assume it's off the record. Still don't really understand how he thought that would work. But like the public backlash that once Shipnick wrote that, you know, it's not a forward to the book, but kind of an excerpt of what was going to be in the book because of the Saudi live news. It was like reacted like it was so poorly received in the social media and media pylon. Phil kind of went into like a little shell, right? He doesn't defend his title at the PGA. He doesn't show up to the Masters initially that year. He did obviously play in it this past year, but or that being 2023, a couple months ago. But like he mm-hmm. kind of became a recluse. And there's this weird gray area with the PGA tour and how they deal with like, was he suspended? Was he not? I don't really know, but he just kind of went away and went in quiet. And then he kind of slowly started emerging back into the spotlight a little bit after he joined live. But like, there were some weird reports from the champions dinner this past year where they like, I, did you read some of the stuff that was like, he just sat in the corner. He just, yeah. He just sat there and didn't talk. Yeah, and, It yeah. didn't say a word. Like it was almost yeah. like, like some of those other guys that know him pretty well, like it seemed like a different person. Now you get this news and it seemed like he knew a couple weeks before at the PGA that this news was coming and he kind of started being the spunkier Phil again. And now he's just dunking on people online, kind of doing the victory up and all that stuff. I just think he's a hilarious character in all this because like the way the, the battle went in terms of trading blows kind of mirrors the way he's acted throughout all this. Yeah. Let, let's not like Phil is like, a he's a character. Like he's not <laughs> like the most like stand up, like, oh, I want my son or, you know, I want my daughter today to Phil Mickelson. Like, let's not get it twisted where the guy's, you know, this great, this great – I mean, he's a great golfer, obviously, but, you know, beyond that, he's a little little on the sketch side of of life. Um, Obviously, it's some insider trading stuff and, you know, all that. And then the suspension stuff, who knows if he got suspended. He kind of – either either way, he paid his dues very, very quietly in a cave somewhere, basically, for, I don't know, 8 to 12 months. Um, after those comments and the ship nug thing. And then he shows up to Augusta and doesn't talk at the dinner and finishes runner up out of nowhere. Um, it was, yeah, it's Phil is, I guess it's Phil is Phil. And then it, it, Augusta, you, I mean, he had huge crowds. He's always going to have huge crowds. But he has huge crowds at, everywhere he's shown up now. He's still giving the thumbs up. People still love the guy, especially, you know, people like my parents' age, like, you know, early 60s and our grandparents, like they love every grandparent in the country loves Phil Mickelson. It's just, he hadn't lost it. He was just kind of, gone for a little bit and who knows he could shoot 86 87 at lacc this weekend or be in the hunt again like he was two months ago at augusta so it'll be fun Uh, like another impossible thing to encapsulate what do you think his legacy ends up being you know there's a lot of talk after all this is like does it swing all the way back to the point where he becomes a Ryder cup captain i don't really know that in this moment seems a little far-fetched but like it seems like in a like a weird perverse way 
the fact that he was right, even though maybe the way he delivered the message or the sheer fact that maybe he was the wrong messenger of all people. You mentioned the yeah. insider trading piece. Seemed like he had a little bit of gambling depth in there as well. Didn't exactly hang out with the most squeaky clean characters of all time. But it does seem like in a weird way, the fact that he was right has made him more palatable again to the mainstream public. Have you noticed kind of the same thing? Yeah, I would agree. I mean, you obviously have like your Brandel Chamblees and Eamon Lynch's who were going to, you know, stand on that rock as as long as they live where Phil is basically cooked for them. Um, but I think for the the normal golf fan or even, you know, the high-end golf fan that has followed the game forever and, you know, lives in the higher society, as they would like to say, I think he's I think he's still back. He's going to get back to that Phil Mickelson level. Um, and, you know, he's going to play – I don't know. We I'm going to throw that out there. He might play champions to a golf if he's allowed to. So he's going to have a different era there. Um, he's still got plenty in the tank um, for sure. So it's just – yeah, he's – as far as legacy, I don't think I think it's just going to be on a case to by case basis of who you talk to. Um, I think, like I said, the general public is just going to be Phil Mickelson's great, you know, majors jumping up at Augusta, that kind of thing. Um, where, yeah, he's just going to be he's just going to be Phil Mickelson. It's, it's he, he can't be erased from uh, from golf history for sure. You mentioned the Amon Lynches and the Brando Chamblees of the world. I think they're kind of a fascinating piece in all of this as well because they're. You could say they did the PGA Tours bidding or they were their mouthpiece. I don't exactly know the relationship there. I know the stuff. The Athletic wrote a very interesting piece a couple of years ago about the blurred lines between like Golf Channel being a independent entity versus being kind of in bed with the PGA Tour because they moved their headquarters, all that. But point being, they took a similar stance to the PGA Tour, even if they acted completely separate. Let's just say they did of like the hardline moral stance of how could you get in bed with these murderers and all the human rights issues that are very real issues when it's in terms of just like society and the geopolitical landscape and all of that. But you and I, I feel like have fallen on the same notion of like, I'm never like, I think it's almost like lazy to analyze it from like a, well, the Saudis are bad because they're the Saudis, like particularly from a sport sports realm. Like I've never taken this right. type of like to hell with everyone who joined live because they're getting money from the Saudis. I just, I don't find that to be an interesting or really all that original take by any stretch of the imagination and the people that did take that came out as the biggest losers, whether it's the PGA Tour or the Brando Chamblees or the Amon Lynches. And I think it's just kind of a valuable lesson. It's like that may play well on social media or that may be the kind of simplistic, like morally pure stance. But when you're going up against like it, that ignores all other elements of the fight. And then when news like last Tuesday or Wednesday, whenever the hell that was happened, you kind of come out with egg on your face. Like I was genuinely I thought Brando actually did a decent job on TV last week. Considering the fact that I went into it with the mindset of like, how the hell does this guy show his face? Like, those are the yeah. biggest losers in all this that didn't really like understand the issue. They just took the hardline moral stance. Yeah, it's it's that group that they couldn't separate like the political side of things to a sport. Um, you know, which like you said, Brandel when he when he finally did hop on air, it was probably three or four hours after the news broke. Um, but yeah, he was great, and you you have to respect. I mean. You know me. I'm an outkick. I'm I'm a free, I'm a free speech guy. Number yeah. one. So you have to respect that. You know he's he's taking that stance and he's going to stand on that stance as long as he goes. And it's not like he's. It's it's almost like you have to be black and white with it, but you really don't because it's not like the guy is saying wrong things. Like the Saudis have a deplorable human rights human rights record. Like that's a factual statement, and he that's what he's going to stand on. Um, some people just want their sports to be their sports and their politics to be the politics. And some people don't want to get into politics at all. Um, so it, it's, yeah, it's just, he's fine. I mean, it, it, he's not going to, I think he's, people were like, oh, he's he's got to resign or he's going to lose his job. It's like, no, I mean, he's still one of the, 
prominent voices in golf. And Eamon Lynch is up there as well, certainly written-wise as well. Eamon's a great writer. Um, he does a lot of stuff at Golf Week. So, yeah, I mean, it's that crowd's going to stay that crowd, and the crowd that was, you know, didn't care or said, hey, Bill, go take your $200 million, or DJ, take your $150 million. Go do it. Now you look good, and the, the Brandles have to wear it for a little while, but we'll see how this all plays out. They might, you know, it might work out a little bit better for them and, you know, hell, a week from now. Who knows? And even if the result was the inevitable, whether it's the Amon Lynch's of the world or the Brando Chamblee's or the PGA Tour itself, don't you think that's a little bit of an error in the strategy? If you wanted to do the moral, they have an abhorrent, which they do human rights track record, make that an add on to your argument, not the argument. Like I would have like I would have kind of hitched my wagon more towards golf being a fractured ecosystem and this disruptor coming in that's not really paying, quote, fair market value. Look, you, I, I will 100% hear the argument that the PGA Tour is not playing, paying their biggest stars enough. I'm perfectly open to that conversation. But when you offer $100 bucks to you know, Dustin Johnson or whoever else, like I don't think anybody in the golf world is really worked out outside of one Tiger Woods who they basically almost offered a billion dollars yeah. to. Yeah. And like, like almost 100% of his net worth. I'm not even sure that's a reasonable offer. But like point being – that's kind of an error in their strategy, is it not? They shouldn't have taken the hardline stance because even on the simplest form, Jay Monahan having that 9-11 clip where he does the whole, have you ever had apologize for being a member of the PGA Tour? I've spoken to these 9-11 families. Come back in his face when he makes that deal. That just seemed like an error from the beginning of the outcome wouldn't have changed. This would have been a more easily digestible if you had not just solely focused on the Saudis are bad because they're bad type of right. thing. Yeah, it should have been a, a, a bullet point. And the the 9-11 thing from Jay Monahan, I've always wondered, like, it was that just off the cuff for him? Or was there people, you know, the day before saying, hey, you're going to have this interview, but we're going to hit this bullet point and we're going to – this is going to really hammer it home. But you have to have the wherewithal to where, again, the Sovereign Wealth Fund is $620 billion. Like, these guys are not going to go away. Um, you're going to take some losses, you know, in the media, and that's a humongous, humongous loss. Um, that clip's going to live forever. And like, that's going to come up year after year. I think it was the Canadian open last year. I mean, it's back to back years for the Canadian open where they've just gotten got screwed from just a PR destroyed from a sideshow. Yeah. I mean, I was thinking about this yesterday too. If, if the Saudis and the PGA really wanted to shake it up, they would have announced all this this week. Um, I guess they're kind of respecting, you know, the major championship, even though the PGA has nothing to do with this week. And certainly the Saudis don't either. Um, yeah, it's, it's going to be, it's just going to be interesting to see how all of it, how, how all of that plays out. Um, Do you think yeah, they got worried it was going to leak? I think that's why they did it. They kept it miraculously quiet for the seven it, weeks they were negotiating. And I have one question. It's like, how the hell do you negotiate for seven weeks and still still have little answers on how this will work? And number two, I think that's crazy. why that happened when it did. I think they kind of panicked and realized this shit was probably going to get out. And they're like, okay, we just got to do this. Yeah, the the uh, I guess I think it was the – it's either Wall Street Journal or New York Times. I'd like the big one of the broke it down kind of how it started. And like uh, Jay was at a was somewhere and he was meeting with Yasir at some wedding of an F1 driver and somebody else. Was, the F1 commissioner was at the table across from him. And Jay basically had to run away because he knew that it would leak if the F1 commissioner saw him. It's just like this. It's, I mean, people made the comparison like it was, it was a secession episode. And that's, that's literally what it sounds like. Like it's in the fact that that only four people basically were know what happened here for seven weeks in today's day and age, flying all over the world in these exotic places. And just anybody can take a photo. It's unbelievable that they pulled it. I mean, or the U S government couldn't have pulled that off. 
it's 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 unbelievable they did it. We'll get back to Mark Harris in just a second, but first I want to remind you that this podcast is brought to you by Athletic Greens. I take AG1 every morning. I wanted to try it just because I wanted to get a little bit better uh, on the healthy eating side. Your guy doesn't always eat the healthiest all the time. It comes in a nice, easy-to-make nutritional drink. I take it every uh, in the morning uh, after my coffee, and it just gets you feeling good. You know you got the nutrients you need, and that's why I wanted to start trying AG1. All you got to do is really make it a routine, a habit, a part of your day. So this podcast brought to you by Athletic Greens. You should give it a try today. If you go online to athleticgreens.com slash mpw, you can get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free, tra- free travel packs with your first purchase. Just go to athleticgreens.com slash mpw. Check it out today. This podcast is brought to you by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is the world's largest online therapy services has helped connect over 3 million people with licensed therapists, and it's affordable. If you're thinking about giving therapy a try, you should definitely do it, and you should definitely use BetterHelp. Look, we take care of our physical health. We take care of the things that are important to us life. We put gas in our cars. We get the oil changed. We take care of that. Taking care of your mind is no different. BetterHelp can help you connect with an online therapist within 24 hours and if you don't feel like being on camera, you can go off camera as well. It's nice to just have someone to talk to sometimes. Get all those pressing thoughts out in life. Sometimes just getting it out in the air and talking to someone about it can significantly improve your mental health. If you want to perform at peak capacity, give online therapy a try. Betterhelp.com slash MPW, and that'll get you 10% off on your first month of therapy. That is Betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash MPW. Give it a try today. This podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue in Oxford. Go see Greg. If you're a Rippy Rights subscriber, that's rippyrights.substack.com. Get a free newsletter from me and discounted meats right now. It is a six, three six-ounce bacon wrap fillets for 20 bucks. That's about a $40 valuation that you're getting for 20 bucks there. Go in there, show Greg proof of subscription. He'll get you set up with the Rippy Rights special. Then go find all your own favorites. It's prime grilling season. It's summertime. Enjoy the weather outside. And go find all your own favorites. It has LB's has a fresh selection of seafood, all kinds of different cuts of meat, fresh sausages. It is the best butcher shop in the world. Go today, LB's University Avenue there in Oxford, best butcher shop in the world. All right, back to Mark Harris. It really is. And I guess it comes back to the sheer fact that so few people were involved. Like it literally seemed like four people. And I guess that's probably why. But even in this modern day and age, like if you want to commend them on both sides for something, keeping it as secret as they did, in this modern media landscape is absolutely remarkable. And you bring up a good point with the whole, like, you know, why did they do this? Why did this happen then type of thing? But then it's also like the the side of like, well, what does this actually mean? And like, there's so many layers to unpack of it. The whole, like the natural gravitating point was my God, poor Rory. I felt bad for Rory. I like Rory McIlroy. I don't necessarily think he hung the moon. Like some outlets think I do right. yeah. how genuine and honest he is all the time. I mean, from a reporter, writer, media person standpoint, he's the dream. He's going to tell you exactly what he's thinking at all times. Mm-hmm. I think he was a little over the top, like whether it's the FU Phil in the, in the, uh, in the full swing episode, some of that other stuff, but you know, maybe that's just kind of his emotion coming out and him being frustrated with it. But I did feel bad for Rory McIlroy. The PGA Tour had them basically be, do their bidding and become the public face of all this, only to pretty much cave on their whole thing. And one of the arguments that I found fascinating in the last week or so is it seemed pretty like the initial reaction was, OK, they're going to have to take care of the guys that had live offers and didn't take them. Like, how do you reward them for their loyalty? But the other side of it that I've seen surface, and I'm not the first one to think of this by far, but it's like 
do they actually? Because what are they going to do? Where are they going to go? Like, I think they right. should make it right and compensate them. But if it comes down to gun to your head, do they actually have to do this? Do they really? Because where's Rory going to go? Every yeah, single major I mean, tour on earth is now owned by the Saudis, for the lack of a better Exactly. Rory, Rory's not going to go play in the Sunshine Open in South Florida for a couple grand. I mean, he <laughs> they can't just walk away from this because the Saudis, quite they own everything. They now they're going to own the Asian tour. I mean, he can't go to Asia. He's not going to go play in Australia, the Australasia tour, whatever's going on, the Latin America. I mean, they're not going to do that anyway. They wouldn't regardless. But it's just – it's 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 unbelievable because they can't – they can't – I mean, they, they're stuck. They have to stay where they are. It's either retire or, you know, keep playing golf and you maybe not like the people that signed your paycheck. But to the point of Rory, I think from – obviously it's been like a saga for two years, maybe even longer for him because he was even approached by the PGL stuff before that even was a thing. And he was very outspoken. But I think oh, the way I've kind of looked at it is that was reality then, like – he didn't know what was happening the next week. He didn't know who was getting offered, who was not getting offered. He's not in all these meetings and stuff as as much as you that some people think that he might have been. He's not on the phone with Jay Monahan every day. That's just not how it works. Um, but yeah, I think he's handled it. It's even the past few months. He kind of cooled off. Said, "Hey, we gotta. We kind of had. I think he kind of saw some writing on the wall too, to where like something's gonna butt heads. I don't want to do all this lawsuit BS either. Like I don't want to be in." involved in this. I'd like to focus on my golf. I'm not, you know, 20, 26 years old anymore. Um, but yeah, he, I think he's handled it really, really well, especially in that, the, the press conference right after up in Canada, I thought he, you know, he said that sacrificial lamb quote, which he is. I mean, he has every right to feel that yeah, way. Absolutely. He, got, he got hung out to dry, but everything else he said was great. I mean, he was like, you know, it kind of is what it is. We'll see what's going to happen. Um, but he did make the firm stance to be like, the live guys that want to come to back back to the PGA tour, they're not just going to stroll right in. Like there's going to have to be some kind of repercussions here, but again, he's not the commissioner and he's not Yasir who has $620 billion to work with. So we're, we're just going to have to wait and see what that looks like. That's another piece of it too. When they had the whole players meeting where Monahan, after this announcement comes out at the RBC Canadian open, he like basically had it a, I say open for him, open to players to come in and basically have a meeting. There's some wild reports coming out of that meeting. Uh, <laughs> Rory told uh, resident uh, fan favorite Grayson Murray to just play better. Yeah. I don't know why Grayson Murray, one, I was surprised he was in the Canadian Open. Two, I don't know why they never opened his mouth other than the fact that he's Grayson Murray. Like, why in the world would you walk in that room and think, yeah. people want to hear what I have to say? I don't, yeah. I don't think that. There was apparently just, a round of applause when someone called for new leadership. Just all kinds of wild shit coming out of there. But to your point on the these guys just can't come back to the PGA Tour, I started kind of my BS detector went off on that as well because while it does seem practical to make sense, like, yeah, well, you do need to penalize these guys to come back to the PGA Tour. What does that actually look like? Can they actually do that? Like, what? Like that seems to me another kind of false promise. It's like you're trusting Monaghan and what he says again. That seemed to me be like, really, you're falling in the same trap. Because I ultimately think yeah. very little will happen to the guys that come back to the PGA Tour. I'm, I'm in the same boat with you. I mean, and then it say, you know, they have like a fine system, but it's like, okay, you're going to make Phil, who got a huge payday, you're going to make him pay $12 million and DJ has to pay $9 million and then James Pyatt has to write a $2,500 check. Like, what's all that going to look like? And then if there is some kind of system, where the hell is all that money going to go? Is it all going to go into Rory McIlroy's pocket or is it just going to go right back into the people's pocket that paid it in the first place? Um, and we we also – another thing to look at is, too, we don't know exactly what, like, that payout looked like. Like, I don't think 
Phil signed a dotted line and there was $200 million in his bank that afternoon. Um, I don't know what, you know, the contracts, there's rumors it was two to three years, whatever that, that may seem, which, you know, I think the, the Saudis might void some contracts. I think they might have some pull and some legal systems around the world to where they can, uh, they can do whatever they want in that regard. And then the whole legal system too. I mean, the government's going to step into this. Um, today I wrote about how the, a few democratic senators, um, have called on the attorney general to like, look into this, scrutinize this for, Antitrust, which the PJ Tour was already in an antitrust lawsuit before, which that's a whole other theory to where maybe they opened up their books because they were a nonprofit as of last week. Um, and they saw some stuff that they didn't like. And they were like, hey, you know, maybe we can join these and you all just stay hush us and we'll start this new era of professional golf. You bring up that's where exactly where I was going next is like the fundamental premise I don't understand. And probably kind of the best part of us doing this a week later versus what. I probably wish I would have thought of in the moment, but you're so consumed with a million different reports that it's all coming out live and doing like a reaction show was, it seemed like to some degree, we've maybe put the cart before the horse here because mm -hmm. no one's like fundamentally been able to explain to me. And I'm far be it. My mom's an attorney. I did not get that brain. That's why we're sitting here doing this podcast, but no <laughs> yeah. one's been able to fundamentally explain to me why, like how two entities engaged in antitrust litigation that somehow ends in a mutually agreed upon merger. That seems the antithesis of how that's supposed yes. to work. So the federal government is clearly going to look at this and say, it, I saw someone made a good point last week, and I can't remember where I read it. If the antitrust laws in America have any sort of teeth or any sort of legitimacy or any sort of backing, you have to kill this, right? How does that work? Right. How is that actually going to work? It seems like a dead, like dead to right situation where the government like, this isn't going to happen. And then what? Yeah, like, how do you see that part of it? I don't. I, I I don't have the attorney brain either. I've had you know people ask me like, man, I don't know. Talk to this guy. I don't know. But <laughs> I don't know what it looks like. Like, okay, say say the U.S. government tosses it aside. So can we not just move the PJ Tour headquarters and like be under a Saudi government run thing? Like the U.S. doesn't run the entire world. Like, can we just be all over the place? Like, can we just be this global thing to where oh, we're going to pick up and move? everywhere because we this is where all the money is you know my address is going to be in saudi i don't know what i could be speaking on master i don't know all these legal stuff but I, I think there's ways around it to where you know if if senators or the attorney general doesn't like it then they can up and move and just kind of create their own deal elsewhere and i think that probably lends toward the theory of why it would pass like on paper again like so right. things with this whole saga is like there's no way this can pass it's like well it can cuz money talks like at the end of the day for everything and it almost like ties in the geopolitical part of it i read last week when this happened i forget the name of the guy some important us official was yeah, in was saudi arabia when it happened yeah. we're apparently building a new embassy there and trying to, it seems like a general mm -hmm. idea is to so soften the sometimes cold relationship with Saudi Arabia. Yep. So that would kind of lead the path to what you're talking about, like maybe the workaround that it's a global thing, but in reality, it's kind of like a wink, wink, like, Hey, we're trying to change their political relationship yep. with Saudi Arabia. Let's maybe just file that, that category and let it slide. And that, and that brings, that brings back to like the whole thing from the very start is like the sports watching angle of it to where, I mean, it's really hard to argue that, how we went 18 months ago to where the PGA tour and live were distancing themselves by the day. And then they joined forces and it's just like, Oh, Saudi's here. They have a seat at the table. Like it's like, man, it certainly smells like sports washing, but two things can be true at once. Like I said, reality then was reality. Then reality now is reality now. 
And, you know, what happened in between might not have been the prettiest thing, but this is what we got to deal with. And that's the crazy part about this, too, is it gets into back to like the Monahan piece of it is. So Yasir is I like how everyone's just called him Yasir because we tried to pronounce his name last week and we were like, can we just call him Yasir? And I was right. like, yeah, absolutely. I'm not even going to try. He's the chairman of whatever this new entity is that doesn't even have a name yet going to be a for profit entity while Jay Monahan remains the commissioner of the PGA Tour. To me, if I'm looking at this from a long-term view, and I could be totally wrong, and in 12 months, I'll gladly just be like, yep, got that wrong, won't be the first or the last time. I, I You see, you talk about like a seat at the table. They got the whole damn thing. They run pro golf. Like I, I don't think this idea that Jay Monahan is, controls the PGA Tour and still runs stuff is going to last. Because one, you have a chairman seat, then the CEO. I've worked at one large corporation in my life. I know how that you know organizational chart works. You see, you're going to have the end say, even if yeah. like the PGA Tour, you know, wants to claim they run the day to day operations. Well, your loan investor in whatever this entity is is the PIF. They have first right of refusal, and you see, the chairman of all of this. And then the mm-hmm. second part of it is he's the commissioner. But how are you the commissioner of an entity? in which no one can stand you. They all hate your guts. Both the yeah. the live defectors and the guys that you kind of stabbed in the back with this deal, even though it was probably inevitable. I guess that leads me to the point of like, I don't think Monahan is in the picture in 12 to 18 months. What do you think? Yeah, my my only like argument or pushback against it is, say Monahan does go, then it's just Yasir. Yasir is not going to go hire some other, you know, 55 year old American guy to be the some basically it would be a fake title as commissioner. He's not going to have a say. It would be some other version of Greg Norman. It would be a puppet. Right. He's just going to be walking around the grounds and nobody's going to take him seriously. He's just going to hang out. (laughs) But the the thing that the players are going to have to figure out, which even if the players don't have a say, or I think the players are always going to have some kind of say because if they don't play golf, there's no, there's nothing there. Um, But I think the only, the thing would be to like, okay, I know Jay kind of screwed us up here. We lost hundreds of millions in some people's cases. But if he goes, we got nobody. And That's it's a just great us and point. It is in our best interest to support yeah. him because we have nothing else. That's a terrific point. Yeah, which, which some guys are going to be mature enough to say that. Um, the Rory's of the world, I think, can can get to that point. Um, He's already doing but it. it. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, great, yeah. So that's that, I think that's the only defense that, that uh, Jay has. And I think Jay is smart enough to realize, like, hey, you know, I'm going to eat some crow for six months here, but I might, I might come out. Okay. As far as the people that they truly matter, which are the players. And then, you know, his new boss. That's a good point. Like if there is, like, even if it's not Jay Monahan, if there's someone else, they have to replace him. If they have any sort of power. Like they have to support whatever that cause and that role is because it becomes the literally Saudi global golf tour. If whatever semblance of that does not remain. And that's another piece of this too, is like this kind of, I don't want to say exposed to sham because I think for a long time, the PJ tour was an actual players run organization, but Monahan yeah. is the commissioner of a players run tour, which means he's paid to represent the players for the lack of a better example. It's like Roger Goodell is paid to eat shit all the time and yeah. do the, the, the bidding of the owners. The only mm-hmm. difference in that is, is the players on the PJ tour have way less power. There's far more of them than the 30 owners who literally control the NFL. But like this did kind of, bring to light that the idea that the PGA tour will be a purely or majority players run tour in the future is probably just not going to happen. It's just how much say do they have? Yeah. It's just the change in like the, the whole sport global landscape, right? Like 
the NFL and the NBA, they were I think both used to be nonprofit organizations, did they not? And now yeah, the PJ- that kind of back in the day that would like I read a little yeah. bit about like the ABA and that merger and that stuff right. and it kind of died then. Like seemed like merger kind of like takes you away from a player run thing to bunch of rich yeah. owners type of deal on a broad exactly. Side. Yeah, and I mean this is opening another box, but you know, if they keep this team golf aspect of it, which I don't know if that's like I don't think Americans are like all about that, like a four man golf thing. But if it does like really, really knock out of the park as far as a global thing, I mean, the, their end goal has to be kind of like an F1 model to where we're going to have Team Mercedes, we're going to have Ferrari, we're going to have, you know, Team Adidas and Team Nike over on the whatever you want to call it, new tour off weekend where they play these team events to where they might, maybe they have owners at the seats, maybe they have 15 owners that kind of run this thing. Maybe they take a page out of the, NFL and NBA. I mean, the NFL's certainly profitable. Um, I don't know the ins and outs of how the Premier League stuff works, but there's certainly, you know, 25 plus owners that have a say in that as well. So we could be looking at something like that. I mean, that's just kind of spitballing, which would, would certainly shake up things and change the whole landscape of golf. Um, but it's I, it, in like the global aspect, like obviously time difference and stuff. Like I, I love like the off weekends at the PJ on the PJ tour. Like, 18 like 18 T buyer Nelson weekend this weekend was awesome. Or like the tournament here in Memphis every year. Like obviously it's hometown bias, but like I don't want those to just be like, oh, they're dead. Like that's that kind of stinks for me. Like I don't really care if you go play in Australia four times a year. Um, I know some people on tour will and the pocketbooks will, but and that's another thing. Like they don't care about the pocketbook. If they're if they're gonna spend two hundred billion on this thing, the pocketbook's gonna be a okay for at least a decade. It's in it, like my hometown event, the Sanderson Farms is a good example right. of this because it's seen the whole full scope of things. It was a fall series event back when they had the traditional schedule and like the fall series was the off season. Then it became the opposite of the British Open, which is one of the smallest purses on tour. It's the same weekend as the British Open. They kind of ran through title sponsors. There was one year where it was like the true South classic when Viking exited. And it was like, if you have that merch, that's a real collector's item because it was like, what in the hell is that <laughs> thing? To kind of benefiting to moving back to the fall, but the PGA Tour no longer has a fall schedule to where it was became a full-fledged PGA Tour event. You get a master's invite. You get a much stronger field. Hell, it, it sucks that the year COVID happened. Sergio won the Sanderson by sticking it to 18 inches on the 18th hole. And I always wonder, like, what would that look like just being in the crowd for that? Unfortunately, there was no crowd, but it became yeah. like a pretty decent size for what it started out as PGA Tour event. It's clearly reached its peak. I don't know what's going to happen to events like that. But if there is a path to incorporating the live structure, doesn't it feel like it's events like that? You probably push them to the fall and you maybe do the live-ish type stuff then, which is going to be hilarious. Can you imagine someone taking that ridiculously awesome Sanderson large chicken trophy on the (laughs) type podium after the, you know, the range goats have won in Jackson, Mississippi? Like, I, I just, I don't know what that looks like. But it brings up a good point that you mentioned about the team golf side of it. I like team golf, but we're more into it than the casual golf fan. I love team golf. I love the match play. I understand why there's not more of it. When you get down to the final four, it's hard to run like a broadcast on a Sunday when there's matches going on and stuff like that. I get why there's not more of it, but I love match play. I love team golf, but I just don't know how the hell that has a viable future going forward. And that would lead me to believe that this live thing even if they want to say they're going to do it in 2024 and they're not changing operations, it's probably goes by the wayside in the next couple of years. What do you think? Yeah, that, that was my thing. Like going back to our original earlier, I was saying 
you know, two weeks ago, I didn't see it as like a vehicle of getting to the table, which that I, that's what it certainly looks like now to where they can toss that aside and not really care. Um, the only kind of concept or theory behind keeping the team golf stuff from kind of a profit standpoint would be the betting angle of it. Obviously, sports betting has become legal in most states now um, where I, it's just another thing to gamble on. But I don't know. Like I said, I don't know if there's enough interest in that. Um and then another thing as far as like, okay, you're going to add some, you're going to have to cut some tournaments if you add the team events where like these guys, uh, half the guys on the PGA Tour are already bitching about they have to play too much. They yeah. can, Right now there's the designated events after the Masters. And I know that's not going to be next year, but they're playing too much and you're going to add six, you know, let's throw six team events at you too. And like the Rory's and the John Rahm's like, I don't want to do, I don't want to play 27 times this year. Like I know I'm going to get paid and stuff, but like, man, that's a grind. I got, I got young kids. I got a wife. Like, it's, that's going to be another interesting hurdle that they have. They're going to have to find a sweet spot. It might take a couple of years um, to see what kind of goes to the wayside and if the team golf is worth it. I mean, they, I guess they could try it out and scrap it if it's, it's not worth a damn, but we'll see. And to your point, like, it would have to be those guys. You couldn't do yeah. the team golf thing with the PGA Tour fall series type player or the James Pios or whoever right. else. You can't do that. It has to be the biggest stars, mm -hmm. and that's what makes me skeptical of it all because all these guys want to play less, but now it's like, all right, you're going to play the PGA Tour and then do the team events. Like, how is that actually going to work? But, like, I think it could be fascinating, but I also think that's probably why we got here to where it was today. The PGA Tour couldn't afford the fight, but it also seemed like from the Saudi live side of it, the whole owning a franchise and getting billionaires to buy the range goats or whatever live right. and establish home bases and all that, that seemingly initially seemed like it got no traction. And they were like, Oh man, even if they had even the faintest interest in live aside from it, just being a vehicle, which it absolutely was that side of it. When they saw that this was not picking up steam, they're like, all right, let's, let's ditch this. Yeah. Yeah. But you're, you have evaluated your, range goats or the high flyers at 40 million i'll i'll give you like 400 grand of a call today it was kind of which you know i guess it can change if it's just gonna it's just gonna take people's interest and it's gonna take tv ratings and it's take all of that there should be a lot a lot of aspects of this whole thing to where i mean that's another thing what, what is the cw out the dry now like is are we dead you i know, think the cw might be dead in terms of how they broadcast yeah. this you know it's just it's crazy so it's just gonna be it's just it's just so many questions, and it's going to be fascinating to see what the if Team Golf is there, if Liv is still there, is Greg Norman going to go live in a cave? Is he going to be a face of anything? Is you know, it's just it's just a ton. It's just so much stuff. And to put a bow on it, like the 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 idea that Liv will probably eventually fade to the wayside. Like if you want to take one small anecdote to like encapsulate that and kind of prove the point. It's the fact that they called Greg Norman like twenty minutes before they did that weird ass interview. Yeah. <laughs> like, hey. This is what we're doing. Like, clearly they don't value the man that they, you know, helped uh, paid him to orchestrate live. But like, if you're Norman, does it even really matter? Like you've been wanting to do this for three decades. You kind of won. You didn't have yep. a ton to gain. You might take a small PR hit in the fact that, wow, they just cast you to the side, but he kind of won anyway. Yeah. That, the, yeah, that clip from Yasir where like the, the CNBC reporter asked him and he's like, this Greg Norman. I was like, yeah, he knows. I called him 17 minutes ago. Like just a cold blooded comment about it. It was hilarious. But yeah, Norman is definitely, I mean, he's, yeah, he won. I mean, he's, you know, he's not the most liked guy, especially, you know, in the United States or whatever. Um, but he's he's definitely a winner in all this. I don't know what his future holds or if there's a humongous buyout attached to whatever piece of paper he signed. Um, I'm sure he's, he's, he's coming out pretty well at the other end of this, whether he has a job or not. 
Yeah, absolutely. He'll he'll be fine. He'll go start hawking new shirts and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The last thing I want to like say about this before we kind of wrap it up with this U.S. Open piece of it is like the even if this PJ Tour could could have could have afforded this fight, let's just say they were in it for the long haul. If they you gave them a crystal ball and said five years of litigation, we'll see how it turns out, and they said we're up for it, we're in for it. The purely golf standpoint, one of the, I think the undercover, underly covered aspects of what Liv was doing was not signing the Brooks Kepkas and the Dustin Johnsons of the world. It was the traction that they were making with the superstars to be. Um, whether it's Ogletree or Pio or Eugenio Chikara didn't win a U.S. amateur, but they had like three of the last five U.S. amateur winners on their payroll. And I don't know what Ludwig would have done, but it sounded like at least they made him a pretty decent offer for like kind sure. of the, the – where like we follow it pretty closely from college golf on that ecosystem. They were making pretty good headway of the Justin Thomas's and the Jordan Spieth of tomorrow. And yep. even if it had been a fair fight from a money standpoint, I thought the headway they were making in that space would have been really troubling for the PGA tour because you're offering these guys a path out of poverty. It's like, Hey, even if you're a superstar, you don't have to go best case scenario, go slum it on the corn Ferry tour and make a little bit of money, God forbid 90% of you are going to have to go to Latin America or Canada. And I yeah. love telling this story about Hayden Buckley. He went to Canada. He won once, had one top five, got conditional corn fairy status. I think he ended up like up like 12 bucks for the summer and was like, oh, yeah. I'm so pumped I didn't lose money. They yeah. were eliminating that path for these younger superstars, which if we're being honest, golf's not like pro baseball you shouldn't have to go play the minor leagues if you're a superstar you should have a direct path to pj tour right. why they eliminated that piece of it is beyond me but like i just thought it was fascinating they were making headway with some of the younger stars and offering the path of like you don't have to do the sucky part of this and they were and the, the beauty that that live had was they were always on the front foot like the pj tour wasn't gonna they weren't gonna increase their purses like they had and create these designated events until live came along and pushed it and they were they weren't gonna give tour cards away to the best college golfer and give him, you know, however many starts Ludwig Aubert gets now. Like they weren't going to do that until Liv and Liv had all that bullet point. Like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to take these guys if you don't change. And they, they forced so many hands so quickly that it just, it clearly became overwhelming with the PJ tour. Like, and then you, you look at the aspect that they're, they have $500 billion less than everybody else. Then it's just, you, you can't play the game. It was either, it was either going to end, you know, last week or was going to end, you know, two and a half years from now. I don't, it, the PJ tour, I don't think had a leg to stand on a very short leg. And it was, it was leaving in the next, you know, months. Yeah, you're exactly right. Not only was it an unfair fight because of sheer money, they also were just much smarter and exposed to things yeah. the PJ tour were doing wrong on top of the fact that they have endless money. So it's like, this is a one round KO. They just absolutely yeah. took it to the juggler of the PJ tour and we could do a four-hour podcast on this, as I mentioned right. that case last week. Like there, you could explore all these angles, but to kind of wrap this up and put a bow on it is the uh, U.S. Opens this week, L.A. Country Club. You've seen Rory didn't do his initial presser. He did the mm -hmm. whole Canada thing last week. I didn't think that was that big of a deal. It's like, really, does he really want to go through this and answer the same questions? But one of the things I've been surprised about, and maybe it's just been I've been busy at work and not paying close enough attention. This actually doesn't feel like it's been the dominating conversation like I might have thought it would be a week or so. It's definitely prevalent. They're getting asked about it. John Rahm, you know, had a quote about, you know, we feel betrayed. You want to have faith in managers, do you not? But it doesn't yeah. feel like it's the story. And I found that piece of it at LA Country Club this week 
a little bit surprising that it's not just the story. It's a good thing for the golf fan, I guess, because I'm honestly in some ways tired of like watching it on my TV and not right. like, focusing on the major. But that's been surprising to me. Has that surprised you at all? Yeah, I think it's I think it kind of started like the media obviously wanted that to be the point. Like they wanted to drive this home. But I think the first couple guys who got to the podium, I think Matthew Fitzpatrick was one of the first guys to talk. And like they're asking all these questions, asking all these questions about it. He's like, people, I don't know. Like I do not have an answer here. And I think the media, you know, probably today or late yesterday was like, you know, we can ask all these guys the same question, but they're given they're all giving the same exact quote. Like we don't we'd have no idea. We know Fitzpatrick said, you know as much as me. This is a reigning U.S. Open champion, the number eight ranked player in the world. Like, if if he don't know, nobody knows. So it's yeah, it's just going to be the media is going to they're going to try to spin it, you know, one side or the other. But it's it has kind of been refreshing to be like the players don't know, so we're not going to let this dominate the storylines. Obviously, the golf channels and all that are going to talk about it in bits and pieces. Um, I, I saw uh, I think golf.com or golf digest had a story. I think NBC had their you know, all hands call for, you know, pumping the, the U.S. Open this week. And they were asked, you know, are you going to, you know, take time in the broadcast? Like, no, we're, you know, we'll, we might hit it for a minute, but like, that's all you're going to get. Because again, they don't know, they're, they don't want to speculate on air either. So it has been, like I said, it's kind of been pretty refreshing just to kind of, I think that's what we kind of all expected to. It was kind of a win for golf fans to where, you know, yeah, we're going to talk about it for a little bit, but it's nice to just kind of focus on golf. And it's going to be fun this week because nobody's seen professional golfers play this golf course since 1940. So it's going to be kind of fun to watch these guys uh, battle it out. One last thing I omitted on this is the fact that and something you said in there made me think of this is the fact that like, I loved like the lower level side in the grind of professional golf. Like I hate the fact that those guys do get paid like shit for as long as they do, but it also right. makes like when they play well, it more worthwhile. Like I was so pumped when Buckley made the PGA tour, uh, Wilson, yep. Furr, who's kind of in the mix on the corn Ferry tour now after a mm -hmm. slow start to the season, I texted him last week. I was like, so one, I, <laughs> I don't think he might be sharing this. I talked to him graduation weekend in Oxford and not that he laid this out exactly, but he was like, I don't think people are viewing this in the correct lens that it happens two weeks later. I was like, damn man, you kind of called this. What do you think this means for like guys at your level currently? He's like, dude, right. we have absolutely no mm -hmm. idea. And, like, I enjoy that piece of it in professional golf, like kind of the grinders who end up making it. I hope that element is not lost. I hope they're paid better so they don't get literally priced out of playing professional golf any longer. But I hope that element remains in some respects. Like, what do you kind of view that piece of it? I know it's impossible to actually tell, but yeah, I hope some yeah. better version of the Corn Ferry Tour becomes double A and triple A, and that's kind of all you got to do. Yeah, you saying, like, the phrase priced out, like some of those guys, even the guys that are on those leaderboards, like if they don't increase something or like the path gets even harder, like they'll just go be the best golf golfer at their country club. Like they're not. You can be the 85th best yeah. court ferry tour player. If you have a bad yeah. six months for three years in a row. Forget it. You just have to stop because you don't need money. Yeah. You're living out of your car. Like you have no social life. You're driving across the whole country of Canada or spending money on flights that you don't have. Yeah. It, it That, that aspect, I hope that stays as well. Like I know it's, that's probably more for the, non-casual golf fan but those stories are always great like every time a corn fairy guy wins like i think the i forget the guy's name that won in knoxville a few weeks ago like he was waiting it out if the guy made a putt on the last he was gonna go to a playoff he birdied the last and he, like he fell to the ground in tears like Rico Hoey. And yeah he, it's great story. yeah and it, it, he, he didn't make you know six million bucks with that win like i know it's big for his status but it's not it, it's short life-changing money if that makes sense it's not gonna set him up for the next decade him winning that golf tournament 
but that that kind of stuff i hope it stays just like you to where you because golf needs that like i mean you, even now it can get kind of stale like even in some of these tournaments like it's scotty and rom like every time they tee it up and you know john rom's probably a lot he's more exciting to watch because he has more personality scotty's you know the the cookie cutter guy he's fascinating to watch from a golf perspective but I don't want to watch those guys battle every single weekend. I don't care what golf course they're playing or whatever, how much money's on the line. There needs to be a little mix up. And it's always fun to see those guys, you know, jump up on leaderboards and, you know, like the stories last week, even like Nick Taylor, like, you know, he's a solidified PJ tour player. But like he had the Canadian talk as Canada, 69 year drought. And like, I hope that kind of stuff doesn't go away. Even at the corn fray level, like a guy from Tennessee went in in Knoxville or something like that kind of stuff that resonates with any sports fan. You're exactly right. That reaction is not the paycheck he's about to get, bring him to his knees, yeah. the opportunity. And it almost makes it like even more pure. Before I let yeah. you get out of here, what do you think of LA Country Club? I've seen a couple articles about how exclusive it is. It's like, yeah, breaking news. Uh, you know, Country Club in Rich City doesn't allow a yeah. lot of people in. Like, that's it's kind of welcome, <laughs> welcome to how this thing, uh, how this whole thing works. Country never, Club that used to be overlooked by the Playboy Mansion. Like, oh, you, it's exclusive? No way. Yeah, they're not just letting anyone that's not semi-private. I'm stunned. Yeah. <laughs> How does that work? I try not to fall victim to the – as much as I love to watch them, the videos every year of how hard the fairways are, how hard, like, the thick the rough is. But I found it fascinating that I've seen a couple of players, like Mike Kim put out a tweet thread that I thought was interesting I read this morning when I was getting up for work. was like he put out, like, man, you got to shape the shot in the fairway. It's a typical U.S. Open stuff, but it seems a little more extreme. But then he predicted the score would be somewhere around 7 to 10 under. And I was like, well, how does that work? What do you kind of make of the setup this week? I've seen videos without falling victim to kind of the golf USGA porn propaganda that make it yeah. seem really difficult. But there's also some people that think under par at 6, 7 under par might actually win this sucker. Yeah, the seven's kind of been the number in my mind too. Um but I also would be shocked if, you know, it's like three or four. I think it's definitely going to be under par. It's not going to be one of those where these guys are grinding to shoot five over over four days. There's definitely gettable holes. Like everybody that I've read that's on side out there that's, you know, seen the golf. That's the other thing. Like people haven't seen this golf course. Like we we don't know really what to expect other than the people that have put out, the you know, the fried eggs of the world or the no laying ups of the world. Like the flyover is all you got. And, you know, the, the Brandles and the those guys on golf channel can talk about it, but they're not out there playing it. Then you'll you'll hear some guys saying, "Oh, it's like the sand belt in Australia," and it's like, "Oh, well, Cam Smith should play pretty well." But then you're like, "Oh, the rough is you know 17 feet deep, and you lose your golf ball." And but I think that I think what will bring a lot more people into the kind of the mix is it's not like your typical Cali course as far as grass goes. It's Bermuda all the way through, and then the grass is just straight bent. Like you're not going to get the Poa greens. You should get like some really pure. You know, obviously firm fairways and some firm greens. Um, and obviously great weather because it's Southern Cali. There's, you know, not going to be any crazy rain like we got at Augusta this year. So I think there's going to be more guys in the mix come the end. But I think you're still going to – the cream's always going to rise at the top. Like the Brookses of the world are, you know, they're still going to be there because it's, you know, big game hunting time. you have anybody you like in particular? Uh, it's among the favorites. I, I I like Brooks. I don't I don't mind Rory this week. Um, I think it would just kind of be a cool story if he could if he could do it. Um, I think he's maybe in a weird way, maybe in a better headspace to where he could just like all right, like Jay, you deal with this. Like you go do your thing. I'm just gonna focus on my golf swing for a little bit, which should be fun to see. And then Scheffler is the greatest golfer, Tita Green, since Tiger Woods was born right this this year statistically. Um, he's gaining three shots on the field every round. He tees it up, but he's like 150th in putting. So if his putter is remotely warm, he could win this thing by like six, in my opinion. 
Um, like a Rory in whatever year that was where he won by eight. I think that that – I don't think it's going to happen in the U.S. Open, but like he could come to Memphis in a month and he could reel off like a eight or nine shot win kind of deal because he's just – he's that talented. I like Scheffler too. I know that's not like any like wild like going out on a limb pick, but if you're so good tee to green, like you said, you can get – if you just make a ton of pars, like you don't even have to be really yeah. out with the putter. If you can just make a few par putts and you're not putting yourself in bad spots, that's kind of how you win this sucker. So – I can't wait yeah. to see the course. There's a lot of secrecy to it. I uh, I can't wait to see how it unfolds. Man, I appreciate the time as always. The next time Absolutely. some Middle Eastern country buys a golf entity, we'll just do this again. But I appreciate it, dude. We'll talk I'm your guy. You. Yeah. I appreciate it, buddy. Uh, anytime. Let's uh, make it make it happen more. Any, any golf talk, I'm, I'm, all, I'm all for for. So thanks, buddy. And that'll do it for Mark Harris. Appreciate his time. Hope you enjoyed that show. We'll have another podcast for you on Friday. Michael Borky going to talk some uh, scheduling restructuring uh, in college football. Take a look at Ole Miss's 2024 schedule. So be on the lookout for that. And uh, thank you, as always, for listening to this podcast. We'll catch you tomorrow.